Say goodbye to your credit card rewards. Greedy corporate mega stores, led by Walmart and Target, are pushing for a law in Congress to take away your hard-earned cash back and travel points to line their pockets. The Durbin Marshall Credit Card Bill would enact harmful credit card routing mandates that would end credit card rewards as we know it. If you love your credit card rewards, tell your lawmakers, hands off my rewards. Tell them to oppose the Durbin Marshall Credit Card Bill. What if it's like the herdsman, but like instead of H-E-R-D, it's H-E-A-R-D, like the like herd or music. <laughs> <laughs> Welcome to Recotopia, a happy home for recommended movies, shows, and music from two people you can definitely trust. Trustability varies by region, no guarantee is implied. Now, here are your hosts, Chris Atkinson and Jeremy Scott. I'm going to try to locate a satron to get in contact with my pilot, right? I have agreed to nothing. You're in a bit of a conundrum there, my friend. You know what that means? It means you have no choice. Hello, everybody. Ah! It is Recotopia, episode 62. The big recommend will be Blood Diamond from 2006. Hello, I'm Chris Atkinson. I'm Jeremy Scott. How you doing today, Jeremy? I'm doing pretty well. I got up uh, two or three hours earlier than normal for me today. Mm, so That's uh, not good. I'm all right now, but I'll be dragging in a few hours. But um, mm -hmm. I'm excited. I'm excited to talk about today's big recommend and uh, yeah. the smalls as well. <clears throat> Uh, once again, acknowledging the chat who's here today, looks like a lot of the usual suspects. Mm -hmm. Thank you so much for coming out and watching us on a Tuesday. Uh, what are your small recommends, Jeremy? It's no big deal. It's so small and light. It's small, it's tiny, it's petite, it's wee. Well, I am doing the Jeremy thing where neither of my recommends this week are movies. Uh -huh. uh, but I'm going to start out with a video game that came out uh, the week after the masters the week of the mm -hmm. masters it's mm -hmm. called ea sports pga tour 2023 and mm -hmm. um <clears throat> oh look at that cover you can yeah you can uh, get this game for i believe all your major systems i have a ps5 uh plug in the very near future i believe thursday of this week to those listening live thursday of last week to those <laughs> listening on delay uh dicer and ian and i are gonna battle it out on the golf courses, streaming on Twitch on nice. this game. Um, mm -hmm. And I will give you the caveat right out of the gate. So far, the game is inconsistent in terms of if I feel like I hit the perfect shot with the perfect aim twice in a row, the ball could end up in two different places. Mm -hmm. um, but they are actively making updates. The first major update they made nearly crashed the game and made it really oh, buggy for several hours. Uh, they're adding a new swing style because people are used to the three-click swing in a golf video game. Um, <clears throat> anyway, I'm telling, I'm saying this all in reverse. Here's why I'm recommending this game. This is the most beautiful sports video game I've ever seen in my life. Hmm. Um, it the graphics are incredible at moments near lifelike and part of this is the technology um because they got access to um augusta national for example where they play the masters they got access to that club's 
horticultural botany tree information down to <laughs> the height of each plant and the location. So it looks exactly like that place looks. Um, mm -hmm. And it has been a long time since you've been able to play Augusta National on a proper golf video game. And so mm -hmm. that, in, that in and of itself is worth buying the game for. But it also has all the other major, major courses, Pebble Beach, um, Scottsdale, TPC Sawgrass, uh, all four majors of this year, 2023 in real life, all four of those courses are in this game. So you can play along with the actual season uh, as they go from course to course and major to major. So I'm very much looking forward to playing this game more and playing in a fun competitive environment on Twitch, but also playing by myself. You can create your own player. It has a pretty awesome career mode. Um, but again, courses out the ass and the most beautiful game I may have ever seen. And so that's mm. why it's my first small recommend. <clears throat> I still haven't seen uh, frames of this, so I, I'm, I may have to, you know, take a look at you guys watching, uh, playing this game on Thursday. It would yeah. be fun. What, what time are you guys doing that? I believe we're going in the afternoon, three central, I believe. Okay. Um, but I will tell you uh, when we get closer, and I'll tweet it out and stuff like that. <clears throat> Sweet. All right. Uh, well, uh, uh, this is a new one for me in the post COVID era. It just seemed like this is like the third or fourth time in a row I've gone to the movie theater. Mm. Um, uh, and I went to go see Renfield, uh, directed by Chris McKay, starring Nicolas Cage and Nicholas Holt. Mm. Um, and, um, the, you've seen the trailer, you know, that Nicholas Holt plays Renfield. He is, uh, going to a group uh, therapy because he is in a toxic relationship with dracula <laughs> played by nicholas cage um they they rip this right from the original bella lugosi dracula uh they they did digitally insert cage and holt into the original dracula to show the uh the story of them meeting and everything uh but now we're in the modern day it's been you know they've they've uh, lived with each other for hundreds of years now um uh he is uh, nicholas holt is seeing the modern world and he is out there trying to find victims for uh nicholas cage who uh many years ago was caught in a in a like uh some sort of religious uh magical circle of some sort and he ended up getting burned uh, really badly uh, in it. Uh, Nicholas Holt ends up messing up the circle that this priest has made and uh, Dracula is able to get out, but he's been badly burned. So for the past several decades, he's been recovering and Nicholas Holt has been trying to find him victims. Uh, Renfield has some of the power there. He explained he has some of the powers of Dracula uh, dialed way down. So he can, if he gets into a situation he can handle himself pretty well. Um, he gets caught up in, a, a, you know, a, caught up with this mafia or this uh, gangster family or whatever. The main the main guy you, uh, that you would recognize here has been as Ben Schwartz hmm. uh, plays the uh, plays the the uh, spoiled uh, mob guy who hasn't really ever gotten his hands dirty. Uh, and the uh, the family is run by uh the i don't know if i'll ever get this name right i don't think i've ever heard it pronounced but she was she's been in a million things shore agadashalu i think something like that is her name okay yeah um she is the head of that family um 
So a lot of the things that Renfield and this family do get get uh, sort of mixed up, and we have a cop played by Aquafina. Uh, her dad was killed by this mob family back in the day, and now she's a cop, and her her sister's an FBI agent, and uh, sort of all this stuff is just kind of like uh, uh, like uh, sort of like uh, melding together. There's there's a there's the crime element. There's his therapy sessions. He's falling in love with Aquafina. All this other stuff is going on. A lot of stuff going on mm-hmm. here. The violence is over the top. It's ridiculous. It's like it's super bloody, but like hilarious in the way. Like it's not. It does. It like you'll you'll sit there and go gross and then laugh. Um, <laughs> um, and uh, it's just it's just really good time. I don't know if this is res- people are really responding to this. It got a B. I think a B minus cinema score over the weekend. It didn't do well and then like an $8 million domestic opening. Uh, but it's destined to kind of get a cult following over the years, I think. So uh, I think, I think you would enjoy this one, uh, Jeremy. Uh, but uh, I really, I really liked it. Uh, I thought it, I thought it was a lot of fun. The first trailer that I, the only trailer that I saw, uh, I really liked. Um, and actually I saw an interview where McKay said it's a direct sequel to that 1931 hmm. film. And everybody was like, what the fuck? But if you're telling me they digitally reinserted these characters into that movie, then I, I get what he's saying in terms of we mm-hmm. wanted to take that bit and then jump forward in time and show their relationship. Now, Nicholas Holt hmm. fast rising up my list of must watch actors he's um, awesome i i i've i had like the past few years i i think starting with mad max and then and then going on into like the favorite and um and that show with l fanning that i can never think of the name the of great. for some reason the great yes um he is awesome in all of those he and uh, he was great in this in this past year's the menu as well mm-hmm. um mm-hmm uh yeah he he's 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 definitely like i mean he's half the reason why i wanted to watch this movie was was that yeah. he was in it at this point so uh yeah very 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 good excellent excellent mm-hmm. all right uh for my second small recommend i have a food product to share um but i would like to mm-hmm. start i would like to open with the acknowledgement that all corporations are generally terrible and uh, <laughs> treat, treat their workers poorly. Uh, and that when you choose to go to a grocery store, you're simply choosing um, which evil corporation you want to give money to in exchange for food. Uh, <clears throat> sometimes that corporation for me ends up being Kroger. Uh, they mm-hmm. are the number one grocer in the U.S. And even though your local stores may not be called Kroger, they own Ralph's and King's and Fred Meyer and all these other chains. Um and they have a lot of their own products, uh, just like any pub- any grocery store like Publix does these days. They have their own store brand products, right? Mm-hmm. And I spied the other day, uh, Kroger's Simple Truth, that's the organic brand. Yep. S- pink Himalayan salt and pepper pistachios. Ooh. He found a photo of it. Oh, my God. I wonder if he yeah. went to the store and bought one and then... Yeah. <laughs> no, he'd probably find that on Google. Um, that's amazing. <laughs> I I... Okay, I was not a pistachio guy. I don't know if I'd ever had them until oh, they're awesome. A meal we went to where the dessert was pistachio ice cream, and that was the first time I realized how much like peanuts they could be. And I've been mm-hmm. eating them as a snack ever since. That was what five years ago. Mm-hmm. Um, <clears throat> I prefer not to have a shell. 
because I'm lazy and I don't like to do work. But they didn't have this kind unshelled. So I bought it anyway. And hey, good news. It's not very hard to, to shell uh, a pistachio. And even better news, these taste freaking awesome. Uh, mm-hmm. And I'm addicted. I'm almost all the way through this bag. I've only had it for two days. Um, help me. Help me. Uh, so if you have a Kroger or a Kroger-owned store near you and you are willing to give an evil corporation a few dollars for some tasty <laughs> pink Himalayan <laughs> salt and pepper <laughs> pistachios, then go and do it. They're also very good yeah. for you and healthy, packed with nutrients. I will so, have hey. to try these. I love me some pistachios, man. They're, that's, a, that's a good old snack right there. Absolutely. <clears throat> mm-hmm. Um, my, uh, second small recommend is, um, um, a movie that I saw with people on a movie night. And one of the movies that was chosen was memories of murder, which is a Bong Joon-ho movie back in 2003. And you, and you also, you already recognize that Song Kang-ho is in this movie. He Mm -hmm. is in almost all of the Bong Joon-ho movies. Um, and uh this movie is 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 wild in its uh presentation because it is about a serial killer and the detectives who were trying to find who that person is and you know the two people i don't i'm i'm trying to remember if i think the so so the the one that played the the one that uh song kang ho plays he's a buffoon like at first you're like he's the guy he's the guy he's the man of authority in this he's the one who discovers or is uh uh discovers the body at the first at the beginning of this movie and you're like he's the only he's the only uh person of reason in this entire movie right now until you start seeing other people come in who are a little bit more serious about how how you solve crimes and everything uh but this is a this is just a serial killer thing and they're just they're just chasing down leads and the and i would imagine there's a lot of frustrating things like this in uh in casework like this where you where you see somebody do something that's weird or or it's a coincidence of some sort and that person becomes your your biggest suspect and but everything else doesn't add up for them to be the to be the actual person or whatever they they first arrest this guy who has uh and i don't know what his affliction is i don't even want to bother like trying to speculate what it is because that would be wrong but they 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 basically they basically arrest this guy at the very beginning thinking he's the one who did it because people saw him following one following the victim on the night of the murder and then they they beat this guy up. They do a whole bunch of stuff to like, just they keep him away from his family. They do all this. And finally he does something which feels like a confession. But if you listen to that confession, you'll notice some details that are off about it. And, and, uh, but, but yet the details are very accurate about how this murder went down and everything. They think he's the best suspect, but then another murder happens. And so it's obvious that it's not him and they go, they, they continue uh, following other leads. This movie is strange though. It's got so many different, different parts to it. Um, it's, it's in part a comedy. There's a lot of comedy in this. And I know it's a serial killer of women and all that. That's the serious part. But like the way that these guys go about their job is a, like really like, you know, he and this and his partner, 
his partner is like really eager to like kick anybody that's a suspect and like you'll see him just come in like they're playing a good cop bad cop thing and the guy's like playing a good cop and the bad cop comes down and just immediately just kicks the guy and that's becomes his his mo all the way through it this one guy is just like kicking people all the way through it but there's this one serious guy who's like really following actual leads but they're they just still can't find this person at all and then and you're beginning to wonder if there's even any real way uh, to to connect it all and everything uh i'm kind of being purposefully vague because i don't want you to like i want you to experience this for for yourself sure but if you like any bong joon ho movie at all you know you're talking about pair yeah you've seen you've seen parasite you've seen snowpiercer all those movies yeah you're gonna love memories of a murder of memories of murder um and uh it's 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 got it's got just enough of the like oh what's going on here you're really you're really uh excited about them solving the mystery and it's got a lot of humor in it and it's just it's it's just an excellent excellent movie so uh i highly recommend this Mm. one for you jeremy Mm. um i know for a fact that you would love this movie i have no doubt you are correct and i will grab a bag of pink himalayan sea salt and pepper (laughs) pistachios and watch this movie um yeah that's great i need to go back down his filmography before he started making uh american visible films Mm -hmm. i guess yep um all right i guess now we're ready to move on to the biggity big the big recommend say goodbye to your credit card rewards greedy corporate mega stores led by walmart and target are pushing for a law in congress to take away your hard-earned cash back and travel points to line their pockets the durbin marshall credit card bill would enact harmful credit card routing mandates that would end credit card rewards as we know it if you love your credit card rewards tell your lawmakers hands off my rewards tell them to oppose the durbin marshall credit card bill i'm fine i'm fine it's just that you're so big it's so huge it's a good rule but this is bigger than rules it's bigger on the inside is it i noticed blood diamond Mm -hmm. 2006 ed zwick master storyteller um and one thing that i have learned in my research uh is that uh thank god Jaimon Hansu was nominated for an Oscar for this movie mm-hmm. for supporting actor. Yeah. And watching it through this viewing, it'd probably been seven, eight years since I'd seen it. Um, <clears throat> that was the biggest thing that stood out to me was uh, what an impressive performance he gives, mm-hmm. almost overshadowing fucking Leonardo DiCaprio. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So we open <clears throat> with Jaimon. Uh, his character is Solomon Vandy. And he lives in a village in Sierra Leone. Most of the movie is going to take place in Sierra Leone. Um, and it takes place during a real uh, factual civil war period in that country that went from the early 90s to the early 2000s. This is set in 99. Uh, the characters are fictional, but the setting, uh, the the RUF army that you see a bunch, all that is real. Um, <clears throat> and uh, he's coming home from a day of fishing and his son from a day of school and there's a good father-son bonding moment and then the ruf attacks what the ruf is basically doing is intimidating citizens uh and they like to conscript some of them to be soldiers they like to uh basically kidnap some of them to be workers in the diamond mines 
uh, and they like to cut off hands of others so that they won't be able to vote. Uh, mm-hmm. Again, that is a real thing that was going on in Sierra Leone uh, at this time in the world. <clears throat> well, his family gets away, but Solomon is taken prisoner and sent to work in these diamond mines. We then cut to Leonardo DiCaprio's character, Danny Acha. Um, <clears throat> landing on a dirt airstrip and he's here to talk to commander zero um and there's a tough guy sergeant out front oh, what did he call himself captain rambo um yep. and he tries to make himself the leader and you can't see, talk, talk to commander zero you got to talk to me and danny basically disarms himself and just walks by that guy and he's gonna go talk to commander zero no matter what uh and basically um He's a smuggler. He gets some diamonds from this guy. And then we cut to him walking like some kind of shepherd with goats up over a grassy mountainside. And listen, I mean, I, I was not there at this time, but I would have to believe if I'm a white person trying to smuggle diamonds, I would not go with native shepherd as my disguise. Although yes. I think he was assuming no one's even going to see me. But no, right. lo and behold, military shows up. They feel on the goats because this is apparently not the first time this has happened. And they find diamonds sutured under the goat's skin and they Mm -hmm. arrest Danny Archer and take him to jail. We go back to Jaimon Solomon working in the diamond mines. He's already seen a a fellow worker grab and try and keep a diamond for himself, putting in his mouth. And the leader of the camp, whose name is Captain Poison, they all have raddest names. shoots and kills that guy so when solomon finds a gigantic pink diamond in his little working thing uh he's got a little scooper he's scooping river water out with Mm -hmm. um he decides to keep it this is sort of how desperate these situations are i mean it's a movie for me but in real life there are people like solomon who have been enslaved to work in mineral mines It's, it's just boggles mm-hmm. the mind anyway yeah um there's an explosion nearby which gives him just enough time to put it down under his toes uh and he's got some pretty dexterous toes to be honest yeah uh, and then he immediately asks to use the bathroom always a little bit suspicious if you ask me mm-hmm. um and captain poison stops him halfway up is it captain poison yeah, I'm wrong. okay. It's the it's, uh, it's that lead. It's the leader of that RUF yeah, unit, Captain Poison, and he stops him and says, uh, "Give it to me, or show me your hands." And he like shows him his hands, and he doesn't have any diamonds. And he's like, "All right, be quick about it." But Captain Poison, he still knows something's up, and so Jaimon goes around and tries to bury it, and then Captain Poison shows up. He's like, mm. "Give it to me," and right then there's like another attack on the mine. And Captain Poison is knocked to the ground. And these are actually military forces. These aren't RUF. This is yeah, they're the, the government. Country's government forces. Mm-hmm. Um, and so uh, Solomon is able to bury the diamond before he is captured. Uh, and he ends up in the same prison as Danny Archer and Captain Poison. And Captain Poison, in my opinion, somewhat stupidly, uh, yeah. starts challenging Sol- Solomon in front of all the other prisoners. He says, that man has a diamond. He buried it uh, i'll give you a thousand dollars to anyone who cuts it out of him and there's this awesome scene where jaimon just strips himself naked immediately and goes where is the diamond where is the diamond <laughs> um, and it's enough to make everyone except danny archer believe there really is no diamond 
Um, and Danny is, he's been around the block a few times. He's got connections. He's got friends, both in good places and in bad places. He's able to get himself out of that prison pretty quickly. Uh, and he tells the guy that gets him out, go get out Solomon Vandy. He's got a diamond. And I'm going to have him take, take me to it. And so I've gotten ahead of myself in my notes. Um, so Solomon's family, um, the, the mom and the two sisters have been taken to a refugee camp, but the son Dia, uh, is grabbed by the RUF. Yep. Uh, All right. Sorry. (laughs) My notes, I'm completely lost on my notes right now. Um, and so Dia is basically taken to, uh, be a young RUF soldier. Uh, and they start with indoctrination and some chanting and, uh, and they have him fire a gun blindfolded mm. and he takes it off to find out he's just killed someone. Yeah. Um, the little, the little boy gives a great performance in this movie. It's largely wordless, uh, mm-hmm. but he has to convey a lot of emotions. Anyway, the city is sieged. There's actually a bar scene. I could, let me go back to the bar. Leo asks the bartender for a gun because they know each other, and he runs into uh, Jennifer Connelly. Jennifer Connelly's an American journalist. They flirt for a little bit. He finds out she's a journalist. He's like, fuck you. She's like, come on. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> they meet back up at the bar again one more time as the, the city's about to fall to the RUF forces coming in, uh, and Solomon and Danny barely escape. It, it's actually a miracle they're not yeah. shot uh as like because they have to go looks like miles through the city that's an active war zone they must dodge about a thousand bullets and then, i mean then... i what did i write down uh yeah good radio jeremy um <clears throat> anyway so um they come to a bridge the next day uh and thankfully there's a dead body nearby with a uniform on it and danny grabs yep. the hat puts it on Solomon and basically they do a I'm your white prisoner thing and they get about five steps from the guards and Leo just shoots them and the Mm -hmm. third one runs away and Leo gets a rifle and kills him and there's just this beat where Solomon looks Mm -hmm. like like he's he may understand that this kind of violence exists in the world but he's not used to it and he's not expecting it in that moment he's um, and I, I, the, the way i read it too was that he even though his mission is to get his son back um he didn't he didn't think it would cost people lives like this yeah in this in this way and it and it, you can i think you can tell it it kind of affects him like even these guys even though these guys are considered the enemy or whatever he didn't want people to die like that so no and I'm, i think there's an arc for him too by the end but we'll get to that in a minute yep um they join a caravan with other people who have been made refugees by the siege of the city uh and that's where they meet back up with maddie that's jennifer Connolly, the journalist mm-hmm. and she has some connections and gets a helicopter to take them to guinea where she has heard solomon's family is in exchange Danny's going to help her with her story about the blood diamond trade that she's writing for a magazine <clears throat> Perhaps the biggest miracle in the entire movie is that at this refugee camp with millions of people in it, Solomon stands at the gate and spots his family. Um, Mm -hmm. They they say walking up a million people. And I'm just like, they might have been farther from the gate. It's pretty lucky they were right there by the gate. Anyway, his wife comes running up. That's where they tell him that Dia was taken to go work in the mines and become a soldier. So now we have Solomon, Maddie, and Danny on the road together. 
after the diamond. And I love this dynamic because all three of them needs help from one of mm. the others. Mm -hmm. uh, none of them can get what they want on their own. Uh, they yeah. are dependent on each other. Um, <clears throat> and uh, they see some troops moving. They see some bombed out cars. They even take gunfire by other militants at one point. They crash into a hillside, escape on foot. And then they encounter these tribe people that you think are going to be really scary, but they just take them to a school where there's a, a nice, gentle headmaster who's trying to help the kids that don't get sold into soldier slavery to live as normal a life as possible. We get a little bit mm. of a breather here. Uh, we get a nice conversation between Maddie and Danny where in a lesser movie, they would just sleep together right here, I think. Mm -hmm. um, yep. But this movie's more interested in the moral gray areas and both of them have reason to be wary of the other. Um, mm -hmm. There's a wild theory on Reddit, uh, not Reddit. I saw on IMDb that Danny Archer's character has HIV. Mm -hmm. uh, and earlier in the film, there's a prostitute that says I'm HIV free. And he says, I've heard that before. And yeah. then he doesn't sleep with uh, Maddie. And I just think that's a wild, like, to come up with that theory, I doubt that was intended. Anyway, yeah. um, the next day, the headmaster's going to drive them to Kono, uh, but there are two children with guns guarding the road that the headmaster... I don't know how this dude runs a successful school for broken children in the middle of the jungle with, while being this naive about... I didn't get that either. ...kids with guns. Everyone in the car is like, oh, fuck, we're screwed. And he's like, they're just children. I'll roll down my window and get shot. Ah! Yeah, um, yeah, yeah. And so he gets shot. Um, <clears throat> and uh, then they take off and make it to a military camp, and that's where we run back into the colonel. When we met the colonel earlier when Danny flew to South Africa for a beat. Um, and the Colonel is the guy he was smuggling the goat gems for, but the mm -hmm. goat gems were confiscated. So the Colonel wants this blood diamond in exchange for uh, the debt that Danny owes him. <clears throat> Arnold Vosloo. Yes. Arnold Vosloo, who uh, mm. of, of the mummy fame and of the, the bad from one season of 24. Yeah. And did not realize that he was uh, originally from South Africa as well. I did not realize that. Oh, so. I did not realize that either. I didn't until just yeah. now. That's awesome. Um, mm -hmm. <clears throat> all right. So the Colonel is going to go wipe out the mines. He wants to get this diamond. Danny kind of double crosses him and steals the GPS uh, and sneaks away with Solomon to go in on their own and not with the troops. The, the, the Colonel, it commands a private ar army. He's not <clears throat> with the government and he's not with the RUF. He is mm -hmm. for hire. Um, <clears throat> and uh, so we get a, a lot of, I think, really lovely interaction between Solomon and Danny uh, in these vignettes as they're walking yeah. through the African countryside. And um, <clears throat> some of it's lighthearted. Are you sure you're not a reporter? You ask a lot of questions. Uh, there's a section where he asks Danny if he's married. And uh, well, when you get the money from the diamond, you, then you will get a wife and children. And Danny's like, I don't think so. Uh, <clears throat> yeah. And uh, they slowly let their guard down a little bit. I don't think they ever fully let their guard down with each other until the very, very end. But they're clearly starting to understand each other and share more than just a mission. Um, and so they get to the camp. Solomon's using the binoculars to look for Dia. And Danny keeps saying, you're an idiot, man. He's not, he's not here. Uh, I'm going to call in an airstrike from the colonel. I'll admit that I 
stole this GPS, but that I'm here and they'll, they'll make a diversion. And then while they're attacking, we'll go sneak around by the river where you said you, you hid the diamond and we'll, we'll get it. For now, let's fall asleep. And that was not very wise because Solomon is gone when Leo wakes up. It's nighttime, mm -hmm. it's raining, and Solomon is walking through the camp carrying wood, pretending to work there. Um, mm -hmm. It says a lot about the power of fatherhood and family, uh, what he ultimately puts himself through. And he does find Dia, uh, and he tries to get him to come with him, but he underestimates the brainwashing, and Dia mm -hmm. turns him in to Captain Poison. Um, <clears throat> yes. Danny is watching all this uh, from the wings with a gun, but he's not really able to help right then. <clears throat> so, the next morning, the attack helicopters show up, really good timing again, um, and all fucking hell breaks loose. Um, <clears throat> Danny ends up trying to chase down Dia. Dia doesn't know who he is or trust him, so he's running from him because he looks like a soldier. And Solomon finally gets his one-on-one -on -one with Captain Poison in the rain, in the mud, with a shovel. And there is a moment of pure guttural rage that Jaimon does as he's killing this man mm -hmm. that gave me chills. Um, mm -hmm felt eerily real <laughs> like yeah i'm pretty certain jaimon has never killed anybody with a shovel i, I can go on the record with that but yeah. um that moment right there was just oof, chill inducing so captain poison is out of the way but the colonel and his stupid goons show up and danny appears to and maybe does turn on uh solomon and he says that kid right there is his kid He'll do any for that, anything for that kid. He'll tell you where the stone is buried. He's already verbally worked out an agreement 60-40 with the colonel once they find that stone. And then they get to where Solomon had buried it, and he digs a hole and says, somebody has taken it. Uh, no one's really buying that. But there's mm -hmm. some awkward dialogue where Danny is able to at least communicate to Solomon. Yeah, I didn't get this either. On I know your that he team. But he's like, right, hey, Solomon. And Solomon looks up at him, and he doesn't understand what's been said. And yet there is clearly some shared understanding that we're going to fight back now. Mm -hmm. And he says, oh, there it is. And he gets the colonel to lean down. And right then, Danny takes out a soldier, grabs a gun. The colonel gets hit with a shovel. Two guys get shot. And it's very unrealistic. I think the, uh, I guess, now, I, I, I was, the, the thing he says is, I, I, I stopped smoking is what he says to kind of relay the idea. And mm. I think the idea is he had just previously said, I need to stop smoking. So right. I think the idea is he's lying and he knows he's lying and that there's that sort of the cue that, you know, we need to be dishonest here yeah. or whatever, but it's, it is tough to, it is tough. It was tough to figure out exactly he knew exactly what this needed to entail or whatever, but yeah, it, it, but, yeah. So they get out of it, um, and then they turn, and Dia's pointing a gun at, at Danny, and uh, Solomon uh, prepares to talk him down from that, um, and then Dia turns the gun on his own father, on Solomon. And this is in direct contrast to the guttural rage moment a few minutes earlier, because... Jaimon goes quiet. He's mm -hmm. like, you are a good boy. You like soccer 
and school. Your mom's by the fire making plantains with your sister. And he sheds this silent, huge tear that comes rolling down his cheek. And he talks Dia down. He reminds Dia who he is and who they, what they mean to each other. Mm-hmm. And then we're off. But Leo, Danny, has been shot in the fracas mm-hmm. as mm-hmm. he discovers. They got to get up on top of this hill because Danny's arranged his buddy, who I don't think we've ever met before, uh, with a plane to pick him and the diamond up. That guy advises him to ditch the fisherman and his son, but he does not. Um, and near the top of the mountain, Leo realizes he can't make it. He's done. Mm-hmm. Um, and so he gives the diamond back to Solomon and tells him, go get on the plane. Um, and Solomon doesn't understand at first. Uh, but then some shots ring out because the colonel soldiers are still after them. Um, and so he is convinced and he and his son go running up the mountain. Danny uses his last breaths to call Maddie, who's back in London, and tell her she needs to go to Guinea and pick up Solomon and help him because he's bringing something with him. And she knows what that means. And he says, it's a story now. uh, And you can write the hell out of it. I'm right where I need to be. I need eyes. Um, And we get this lovely little wrap up with Solomon in London and a little bit of subterfuge to set up um, the, the diamond God, who the fuck is that? It's it's uh, the guy from Tehran that I love so much. What, Michael Sheen? Mike, Michael Sheen. Um, <clears throat> she takes some photographs while he and uh, Solomon negotiate. Um, <clears throat> and then the story breaks that she writes in the magazine. And the final scene is Solomon being introduced at some sort of summit in South Africa about the diamond trade. This is a, This is supposed to be a stand-in for a very real summit that did take place uh, called the Kimberly, Kimberly South Africa, the Kimberly Process Certification Scheme, which sought to certify the origin of rough diamonds in order to curb the trade in conflict diamonds. Um, so again, the character Solomon was fictional, and him being there is fictional, but that conference was a very real thing uh, that did uh, affect change in the nation mm-hmm. uh, of Sierra Leone and beyond. So that is my uh, wrap-up walkthrough. I've got a few notes for later, but what are your general thoughts of the Blood Diamond? Uh, this movie is great. I didn't realize it. I didn't remember it being this great. I this was a. Uh, I saw this um, uh, back when it opened, and I was uh, in, at my new theater in New York at the time this came out. It was uh, my Atlas Park theater that I was working at when I saw this, and um, and. Uh, and and it's not a movie to watch late at night like I did back in the day uh, when you're a projectionist just just making sure prints are okay. This is not the type of movie to do that on. Um, uh, you know, one day I guess I don't know. Uh, I'll have time to kind of like write down a whole bunch of fleshed out thoughts for a Recotopia. Usually, I'm kind of going off the cuff and everything, and I'd be doing that here. There's so many things about this movie everybody in this feels like they're doing something fairly hopeless. Um, uh, I'll start with, uh, Jennifer Connelly's character. Um, there's a several moments where they're talking about what she does. And she says to DiCaprio at one point, she says that she, she'll write about the victims and that, you know, and, and people will, will be upset about it. They might even write a check. But what I need to actually, and and this is the parenthetical phrase that we don't hear, to effect change is 
I need bank accounts. I need things that tie things to rich people who are, who are creating an environment for this type of, uh, market to flourish. Um, and, and she doesn't get to make any change unless there's somebody like Leo in here who is willing to exchange, uh, his livelihood essentially for, uh, uh, her story. And, and I sit here and I go, man, that, uh, Archer is not like, by the end of it, we look at him as kind of a hero. He does the right things, but he only does it when he's dying. Yeah. I think that's something that's kind of a hard, that's something that's going to be hard to get through a lot of people's heads on this is that yeah. he's not really in it to do the right thing ever. Until it's just very, when he doesn't end. have any <sighs> reason to, uh, to continue doing what he's doing. And he's, he knows he's, there's no, uh, he's going to die. He, that's the only time he does the right. Thing. Yep. Um, the, uh, there's a, I'm trying to think of the, the other thing with, with Connolly, but, um, but there's an, also a moment, uh, where Jimon Hounsou, he gets to, he gets to London and he sees a display case with all the, like this, like really well put together diamond necklace and a couple other diamond encrusted things. Yeah. And you can see on his face this is what people are dying for is this to be displayed in a case for people to spend extravagant amount of money on one of the other things that they talk about is how diamonds aren't rare this is something that a lot of people should know by now is that diamonds aren't rare the the value right. of a diamond is 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 complete bullshit and and yet you have you have companies like these that are in the movie i think there's a sort of a veiled reference here to De Beers or somebody like that uh, mm. when it when when they're talking about these companies, but um, you know that the, the whole their whole business is to make it seem like they're rare and precious so that people will spend tons of money on engagement rings and other kinds of jewelry. They and even like show that. the pink diamond in this movie at the end being wheeled into a vault to be shut away forever so that the value of diamonds everywhere else go up yeah yeah there's a number of things in here too where a bunch of people who are native africans will will give the tia this is africa uh slogan i think everybody who mentions that dies in mm. the movie i think mm. everybody who says that dies uh the bartender at the beginning where he he's he and DiCaprio have this thing. It's such a heart disheartening thing to watch this vibrant place. Like everybody's having a great time. They're like, you know, it's like there's partying, dancing, and all that, and then just completely ruined. Yep. Uh, and you see that bartender in a cutaway shot, just dead at his bar. And this is uh, this is right after he said something about I'm staying here forever. Yeah. This is my home. All that, you know, yeah. and uh Arno Vosloo tells him tells DiCaprio at one point like the the color of the soil here is is because of all the blood we've shed for it mm -hmm. and everything of course DiCaprio's holding soil which is then later on when he's dying and he's bleeding into the soil it, yep. it tells you that once again Vosloo himself who's Mr. like you're never leaving this continent and all that yep. he he ends up dying of course he says the TIA thing right before he dies but uh that's a really neat action scene, by the way. Uh, I think there's some slick editing involved. I'm not sure exactly how DiCaprio got the 
like got around to the other angle or, <laughs> but, but, uh, it's a really cool one anyway, but yeah, even he dies and the, the, you know, the, the, the whole thing that Vosloo is doing there, the, the, you know, they, the, he, you know, he's, he's selling weapons to the RUF and, and he's making this conflict worse, but he's getting rich from it, mm-hmm. but he's selling weapons to the RUF, but then he's helping the government fight the RUF. Yeah. And it's just, there's the, and this is all because of something that's not that rare. It yeah. really, <laughs> really is depressing as hell when you think about it. Yeah. Um, and there's so many things about this movie that I would love to just deep dive into, uh, as far as the meanings that are concerned with, uh, everybody's that you look at DiCaprio through this movie and you're like, why would anyone do this? I mean, yeah, he's got, he's got some bucks, but man, you think about the very first time we see him is the thing that we're talking about where he goes up to the captain Rambo guy. Mm-hmm. He has to first get past that asshole. And he has to like, he has to like th- that guy. I mean, luckily he's he, that guy's got that kind of demeanor. Who knew who knows what some other person might have might right. shoot him right there on the spot, but he knows it. I guess he knows the situation just enough to be able to say, all right, I'm just going to disarm myself and walk past you. But he not only does he have to get past that, but then he gets to the one guy who is inordinate, in, inordinately short, by the way, I, I'm wondering if they did that on purpose, like how in the world, this guy must be a rough motherfucker to be mm. the head of this RUF unit to be he's like so this tiny. time. Yeah. <laughs> um, they, uh, you know, he, he's like even trying to hold out on DiCaprio with all the diamonds and then DiCaprio's like, all right, well, why don't I just go to the government with what I've got? And then it's like, okay, okay. And he gives him more diamonds. So he has to go through all of that negotiation. Then you think about the putting the diamonds in the goats ah. and, and having to cross the border and all the other things. He describes the process to, to Jennifer Connelly in this movie. Uh, just all the things that happen with these diamonds as once he finally gets it to the one place and then it gets sorted and then it gets mixed in with good diamonds and all that. It's like all of this, all of this is happening for something that isn't that rare. And it really, I and mean, even if it was that rare, it wouldn't make, it wouldn't make it worth it. But I just keep on, I, I was just sitting there like just, just guffawing at the hopelessness that goes on. in this, this is the reason why the Jaiman Houndsu character is in here. He seems to have the worst of it for the longest time. And, uh, in a situation that doesn't seem like it's very easy to get out of. Uh, and it wouldn't be, he's a, definitely an anomaly in this. Mm-hmm. Cause there's the P there's the other real people that he represents. They're never finding their family. Like he right. does. Right. Um, so, uh, so, but he's the one ray of hope in this whole movie. Everybody else has sort of like this, you know, I also like the, uh, the Jennifer Connelly line in there too, where he, where she says, where, where DiCaprio is trying to get her to help because he needs to find his family and all that. And she goes, she's like entire, entire countries at war. Why should I help one person? And there's a five second pause. And then she's like, I don't know why I said that. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. And, yeah. uh, and so, yeah, there's just so many people just out for it, uh, out for what, you know, looking out for themselves and or whatever. And it's the kind of environment that has been created and it's really depressing. And, and, and I'm glad that, something has been done. Although this Kimberly process from what I understand 
didn't it's end imperfect. up working very well. Yeah. And they, I don't think they've abandoned the Kimberly process. And you, you as the consumer have to ensure that uh, if you're buying a diamond, that it's not, it's a conflict free one. I don't know how you do that by the way, but you have to ensure that yourself. But <laughs> anyway, this is a great movie uh, that I should have given a lot more, uh, more attention to back in 2006 and uh, i am it's great really glad that you enjoyed it i uh i don't understand uh i mean again imdb has it as an at an eight which is you know and even a six or seven something on imdb is good and i don't understand the, the rotten tomatoes score 63 but yeah i am convinced now that this movie is definitely good and i'm glad that we got to revisit it again yeah, 8.0 on the imdb is is ridiculous and yeah, that's I, I remember i remember this movie getting mixed to good reviews yeah back in the day and that's uh, that's what the rotten tomato score reflects is is what it, what people felt like at the time when you look yeah. at the imdb score you see a wide you know you have 16 17 years worth of people coming in and you see movies a lot of times like blood diamond i'm sure blood diamond if you looked at it 10 years ago it's probably like 6.9 7.0 somewhere in yeah. that area and yeah. now it's 8.0 because people are discovering it and realizing how good it is yeah i'm sure you're right all right what mm. is the super secret double feature for the week be very very quiet secret what secret a dirty little secret i tell you something i've never told anyone <laughs> Um, interesting that, uh, I, the movie that came up is something that somebody came up with for, I believe Ronan a couple of weeks ago. Oh, um, but the double feature that I came up with for this is three Kings. Oh, that's um, awesome one. Yeah. Three Kings has got the same kind of moral quandary, uh, that this movie does in that you know, you have three U S soldiers at the end of the Iraq war, uh, trying to steal Kuwaiti gold Yep. and it's, you know, it's not theirs, but they figure there's a claim to it in some way that they, that they can uh, hold on to, but they realize that, you know, there's a bigger situation going on there than them stealing gold and being rich the rest of their lives. And, um and uh three kings is something that i wouldn't be surprised if we big recommended at some point yeah um uh but it that's a, it, i feel like it has a lot of the same kind of uh ideas in that as well and yeah. and uh and yeah once again people you know seeking out something valuable but they're also not in their homeland and it's not really theirs and it's you know it's you know, it's there, there's a, there's a bigger situation that they have to learn is going on here. So you could argue, uh, you could argue that Clooney's arc is stronger in that movie because, uh, like you pointed out, DiCaprio's character in blood diamond is in it for himself right up until he realizes he's about to die. Mm -hmm. I think he would have gotten on the plane with Solomon. Maybe. <laughs> mm -hmm. yeah. but um Clooney he starts his journey almost right away in that first village that they're in the only reason they have a skirmish is because they're going to kill this guy and he doesn't want him to and there's mm -hmm. that Mexican standoff with all the guns so he's he yeah. starts out with a little bit of a heart even though they're selfishly going after gold and by the end all they care about is those refugees making it safely yeah. 
excellent yeah. pick there's Love even it. there's even reporters in this one too judy greer plays one nora Dun- nora dunn plays one yep um so you have you have a uh, you know you have some of that you have some of that element in it as well i don't think there's anybody i don't remember nora dunn might be like jennifer Connolly in that movie but i don't I don't feel like she's as she's as she's put in the forefront as much as Connolly is in this movie. No, not at all. So, uh, anyway, um, all right, excellent. The um, I'm going to continue my comedies through the decades, and this is going to start getting really difficult. It's already super difficult now that we've gotten to the 30s, Mm. and I poured over the 30s. I was like, ah, maybe this one. Oh, maybe that one. And there's like 10 that I wanted to do. I'm going to have to revisit them at some point. But the idea for me was we've done Chaplin. We've done Buster Keaton. I didn't want to go back. I kind of wanted to go back to Chaplin because there's two really good ones that I wanted, wanted to do. But we should also seek out other comedians as well that were famous in this, in this day. And one of them is the Marx Brothers. So I'm going to do a Marx Brothers movie. Duck Soup uh, is going to be uh, next week's um, uh, big recommend. And um, I, I, I hope that everybody's kind of enjoying this. This is a tough one, man. I really, like I said, I was sitting there like City Lights. There's, uh, there's uh, the Awful Truth. There's all sorts. Of, that's a Cary Grant movie. There's so many movies I wanted to do, but I was like, you know what? We're gonna, we're gonna make this broad ranging, and we're gonna go through as many of these big comedians as we can in awesome. these early days, and try to get them all if we can. Because I'm, I'm sure I'm gonna try to get Abbott and Costello in there. I'm gonna try to get a lot of people. So, um, so, uh, so there you go. Duck Soup is next week's big recommend and i believe you can find it on amazon i didn't find it anywhere else if you have the prime membership you can watch this for free i'm sure that there's places to rent it but uh it's a very brisk hour and nine minute movie something like that um so there you go all right yeah rentable from all the usual places free for uh, prime subscribers and Mm -hmm. let's do a question i'm gonna skip the first one because okay. it'll take too long. We'll get that one yep. in there one of these days. Question. Question. I got something to say. I want the truth. I am listening. Mm-hmm. Um, what are your favorite blink and you miss it moments from the background of movies? <laughs> uh, now, I don't know how specific it has to be that it has to be in the background, but um, a few a few things that got that triggered in my head on this. I, I got a couple that are in the background, but then there's another one that's like a cutaway. One of my favorite things in Scott Pilgrim versus the world is when they go to that battle of the bands thing. And Allison Pill got uh there's there, that other band is playing. Allison Pill is on the back is in the side of the stage, and she's like, They have a girl drummer, and it's like this really like eight-year-old girl that's playing drums for them uh in uh and 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 she hates the, she hates the fact that they have a girl drummer and so you kind of like forget all about this and sex bomb gets onto the onto the stage and uh allison pill starts drumming and all this and there's like the the song starts getting really like intense and everything and there's a cutaway to the little girl drummer from the other band scowling at Al <laughs> <Hill laughs> as the as the song goes on. I love that part of the movie. 
um the uh the part where uh jim carrey is basically playing fire marshal bill in the background of liar liar when uh it's it's right after that airplane scene at the towards the end of the movie yeah and uh i think it's right after he's like you're all doing a wonderful job and then (laughs) and it cuts to something where jim carrey's not on screen like his like his character's not on screen but in the background you can see his, his fire marshal bill character from in living color <laughs> sitting there on a radio saying a whole bunch of like fake stuff um <laughs> that's a funny thing and then steve buscemi playing the uh, buddy holly waiter in uh, pulp fiction there's a point where john travolta says uh, we're lucky we got anything i don't think buddy holly is a very good waiter Later on, you see Buddy Holly in the background of the scene, just taking a smoke break. And he's in; he's just sitting there. <laughs> so, uh, I really love that that part in it. Uh, so, there, those are the few that I came up with. I only came up with one, but I love it. And it's early on in that thing you do, where uh, Jonathan Sketch, how do you say his name? Um, yeah, I think that's right. And Steve's on. Uh, and Liv Tyler are having a conversation in the foreground about what to name the band. And mm-hmm. he's like, what if it's like the Herdsman? But like, instead of H-E-R-D, it's H-E-A-R-D, like the like herd, our music. <laughs> and in the background are the bass player and the drummer. Bass player is Ethan Embry. He's just standing there. The drummer is Giovanni Ribisi, and he's jumping over uh, parking meters. And it focuses on them and leaves the foreground conversation people blurry just as he jumps over a parking meter and falls off screen. Mm. And that Mm -hmm. is crucial because he breaks his arm and they have to go recruit um, the other drummer um, to uh, be their Spartacus and take them. And Mm -hmm. I always laugh at that because the first time through, you're like, why are they focusing on the, oh. Um, (laughs) All right, let's do one more. All right. What movie would end fastest if all the characters behaved logically? Um, I, you know, I, I don't think this is probably the best example, but the one that I thought of on this one was Suicide Squad, because there's a <laughs> there's a there's a part in the movie where a Waller goes to all those like government types or whatever and is like. And she's like, I'm going to have to release a whole bunch of bad people who can help us do this or whatever. And I remember when we send this, my, my, uh, my sin was no. And then, and then the end was the sin was like, like, no, we're not going to give you all these dangerous fucking criminals just to fight these people off. And then by the end of the movie in the mid credit scene, Waller's talking to Batman or talking to Bruce Wayne, who she knows is Batman and saying like, you know, like he's like oh i know some people who i can form a justice league with and i'm like why didn't you do this in the first place <laughs> if you knew who, if you knew bruce wayne was batman then why didn't you just go ahead and do that why you know you and start with the and, prisoners right instead you were like let's break a whole bunch of dangerous ass criminals out to fight these fight this witch and like i just i just i sit there and i'm thinking like that movie should have ended either one of two ways it should have either been like everybody's like no, we're not going to give you, we're not going to give you these prisoners. And then the witch wins, I guess, unless there's some, there's gotta be some other superhero out there that's going to help them out is my point. But 
but the other point is, is like, this should just be a justice league thing or it should be a Batman thing. And just, you know, that, that movie should never exist. Uh, uh, and, and I don't, I never understood that, but anyway, I don't think it's the best example I can come up with. I think there are other movies that are probably way better. And I probably even made this argument with other movies before, but I, that was the friend one that came to mind. I, uh, I settled on alien. Um, cause you, you can, Go, go to the end of Alien and wind it all the way back to the decision to leave the ship, which mm-hmm. Ripley tells them not to do repeatedly, and they do anyway. And then to compound, that's the biggest one, but to compound that, the most blatant one is he fucking touches an alien egg. He's like, oh, mm-hmm. touch that with my glove. And then mm-hmm. now how many movies later worth of trauma has humanity endured all because yeah. they wouldn't just stay on the ship like Ripley fucking told him to. Mm-hmm. Anyway. Yeah, uh, exactly. Looks like a couple of... Uh, there's a oh, couple yeah, answers over in uh, over in the chat. Uh, the Avengers Endgame, Captain Marvel should have ended it immediately. Yeah, mm-hmm. absolutely. Mm-hmm. Uh, she's off doing some some other thing, right? She's doing she's some busy. other thing. She's, she's busy. busy. I don't know. Um, and then uh, and uh, JC says Wrath of Khan. If one person p- paid attention to their astronomy lessons, they'd sure know it was said not it wasn't SETI Alpha Six or you know check off remembering where they left Khan. Yeah, obviously. Uh, <laughs> Which, you know, that's a weird thing in Star Trek, right? Because Chekhov wasn't a part of the original Star Trek. Uh, where they, but then, but then there was like, the people have tried to explain it over the years that, oh, he would have known about Khan and Khan would have known about him through, I don't know, osmosis, I guess. There's always an explanation, but he wasn't a part of the original Star Trek where, where, where Khan uh, showed up in the series or whatever so i don't yeah, know i don't know it's one of those weird things but yeah exactly uh just a, just a little bit of uh thought in that in that process they would have not done that you're right indeed um uh so yeah anyway uh guys thank you so much um thank you uh for for coming out today and uh watching us uh next week is going to be duck soup looking forward to that one um but uh thank you guys we'll see you Bye, everybody. See you next week. Be a part of the live show by being a member of the Sin Club at Patreon at patreon.com slash cinemasins. Chat with us on the CinemaSins Discord at discord.gg slash CinemaSins or CinemaSins Twitter at CinemaSins and email any comments or questions to recotopia at CinemaSins.com. That's R-E-C-O-T-O-P-I-A at CinemaSins.com. Dancing cheek to cheek and pants to pants. There's a lot to be said for the army. I think we should file a lawsuit. Mm-hmm. We should, we should, um, yeah, I got nothing. Your, your baseball team is doing really well lately. Yeah, they are. I, uh, that, uh, I always temper my excitement about this type of stuff, especially early in the season, but mm. yeah, they're doing well. I'm excited for them. I, uh, <laughs> I think. I think when your team wins the World Series, you kind of just take this regular season with a grain of salt. Like, sure, they in twenty twenty one they were they were really good. I mean, they had a really good uh, final two months and got into the playoffs as a wild card, and and then managed to just 
somehow just steamroll through the playoffs and and you know you can have a team that just absolutely dominates the whole season and then you get into a small series and it can be over in a minute so in a, in a new york minute well i mean i feel like hockey's a long season and they play twice as many games in baseball so mm-hmm. even in hockey even halfway through the season, I'm generally not super worried about what the record is because it's such a streaky game. You can turn it on in February yeah. and make it into the playoffs. Uh, and baseball's twice as long, at least in terms of number of games. Mm-hmm. Um, that's just wild to me. It's like, you know, I mean, Boston had a historic hockey season, and it could yeah. be it could be over in this next series. I mean, they they won last night, but, like, you know, it could be over this series. That's the how yeah. how fickle everything is. And I under I kinda understand the people who really love soccer. Now like that's a I like soccer I like, you know, soccer system of relegation and like whoever had the won the season is the is the champion and everything. I do like that. It it I guess it really depends on your, your love of soccer, aka football. Um mm-hmm. um I, I kind of wish, uh, you know, uh, the United States could do that with some of their sports, but we love the playoffs so much that I don't we think do. we'd ever get to that point where a season is what determines the winner. But you see yeah. how, you see how, um, you know, the Premier League and everything is when once they get down to certain games, it's like the playoffs. It's just not. It is. It's not like a. It's just not a series of games against one opponent. That could knock you out, you know. It's yeah. uh, there's a whole bunch of things that go on in the Premier League that just just as exciting as playoffs can be, anyway. Yeah, I do. I like the idea of relegation and things like that. So you don't have teams that tank and teams that just kind of yeah. that kind of just there to. I don't know if they're stealing money or if they're just. I don't know what they're doing. You know, they're they're, they're always not competitive. They never can be competitive for whatever reason. And yeah, maybe it's because they. Uh, I, I mean, it's yeah. I guess it's. I guess it's. They they always claim no money, but they. I know you know that these big owners have money. They're just not wanting to oh, pay. Yeah. You know, not wanting to spend it. Like even even the worst team you can think of right now. Oh well, they're a small market team. Yeah, they're owned by a billionaire. I, to me, it's it's insane that you would say I'm not going to spend any money to make my team good, and I'm not going to try to benefit from the ticket. Uh, the ticket sales that's going to generate when I have all these players. Um, it was sad, man, when I went to go see an Oakland game yeah. back in the day. They were in first place. And this was like middle of the season, middle mid to late season, somewhere around there. It's hardly anybody in the ballpark, man. So it's a possibility that there that you know there's a, a variety of things going on with Oakland. I've always heard about their stadium issues. I went to the stadium. I thought it was fine. It is antiquated compared to any other stadium though. Yeah. And you know, shitty. Well, didn't if you want to have like dozens of feral cats at some point in the last couple of years that <laughs> were like living in the don't stadium. Don't doubt it. I didn't see that myself. <laughs> um but but the you know the, the long the, the thing with Oakland for the longest time is like they've wanted to build a new stadium but then taxpayers don't want to foot the bill for the for the stadium which is understandable and and then so so people don't want to go out there to to watch a game although i don't know if the same can be said for the golden state warriors who played right across the fucking way from from the a's 
So yeah, and they <laughs> they sell pretty well. Right? I would figure they do, right? <laughs> so yeah. maybe have a maybe have a product on the field that people like to go see. Um, yeah. I don't know, man. I, it, it, that's a complex uh, situation, but I always feel like I'm always on the side of fans and players when it comes to stuff like this. Yeah. Never on the side of the owners, really. You know, this was the same thing we were talking about with with uh, movie theaters that, you know, especially, uh, you know, our old company, Regal, that wouldn't open up certain concession stands. And they're like, well, we made this much money in concessions. And so we only need this amount of people to run it to make that same amount of money and, and make a profit. And then they don't ever think about the amount of money that they lose when people walk in and they see the lines. And uh, no, so because I, the people who make those decisions at the home office, um, the last time they were in a theater on a Friday night uh, and not for leisure was years ago. Yeah, exactly. They're looking at they're looking at a piece of paper and they're saying, I don't know, man, we had way too many people for the amount of money that we made. Well, imagine taking out. I always wonder if they ever th they don't they know. I know they don't if they took out the two or three concession employees that they're dreaming about taking out of on their per cap or whatever, and they see, uh, do, would they still see the same amount of money? They wouldn't because you have people who would not want to stand in the longer lines for it. They don't understand <laughs> that concept. So there's a lot they don't understand. I was told when I became a GM, the district manager said to me, um, now, when we get to capital expenditure season, which was only a couple months away, he was like, ask for whatever you want, because they give, they say yes to first-time general managers a lot, because they want to empower you to make your dent on the building or what have you. And I was mm -hmm. like, so if the guy before me hadn't been fired, they wouldn't have given the money to fix the roof? But mm. now that he was fired, they'll give us money to fix the roof? Yeah. Like, that's a really dumb way to go about making those. Like, you should give it to the roof that needs the most the fixing the most and mm -hmm. not like the tenure of the GM at the building. It's just such that the, the entire decision-making matrix in that business from top down has always boggled my mind. Yeah, exactly. Mm -hmm. okay, I got to get out there and swing some golf clubs and throw some discs, mm -hmm. like golf discs. I've got to do all the golf things. Yes. <clears throat> yes. I'm going to, I'm going to hit my disc golf discs with my golf club. <laughs> <clears throat> throw the disc up in the air and hit it with the golf club. <laughs> Paul! <laughs> <laughs> Say goodbye to your credit card rewards. Greedy corporate mega stores, led by Walmart and Target are pushing for a law in Congress to take away your hard-earned cash back and travel points to line their pockets. The Durbin Marshall credit card bill would enact harmful credit card routing mandates that would end credit card rewards as we know it. If you love your credit card rewards, tell your lawmakers, hands off my rewards. Tell them to oppose the Durbin Marshall credit card bill.